name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Lord, please grant us to have the eyes to see and the ears to hear that we understand and meditate on your word. The intercessions and prayers of Holy Mother Theotoko, St. Mary the Great, St. Anthony, St. Athanasius, St. Pope Corliss, and Mary Mina, we pray with all thanksgiving. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those trespass against us. And lead us not temptation, but let us be the one in Christ Jesus our Lord. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Hey, folks. Okay. Um, as usual, just, and Jesse, apparently you're waving at me this time and not at Monica. Um, so if any of you guys are willing to put on your cameras like we asked before, it would be awesome. If you don't, I get it. But um, it just, it's super monotonous to talk to yourself, um, which is what the quarantine has been doing to me daily. So I just feel like I'm constantly talking. So um, we're doing Romans 11 today. Romans 11 is short. Like I said last week, Romans 11 probably um, should have been um, its own, uh, like it should have been part of last week's thing. It was just going to be too long if we did it that way. Um, and so that's why we're separating it. So there's not much, there's not a lot of new going on here. I was almost going to skip it, but there's an analogy he's at the bottom that's famous, so we'll go with it. Um, but for those of you who have felt like this has been super complicated, um, it has been. <laughs> Romans is a tough book. However, um, the tone of both St. Paul and also myself is going to change from next week. Um, because from Romans 12 on, um, he starts getting into what should a Christian look like? Um, what does it look like to participate in all this? And so it's no longer... Um, it's not, it's still theological, but it's not the, um, you're not going to be, I hope, not going to be wrestling as much um, with the text. At least I hopefully won't be wrestling as much with the text because I find this book very hard. I didn't choose this book. Um, thanks a lot, of and Joe. Um, all right. So pop quiz for me again for review. Um, before we read the chapter. Romans 1 how the Jews were unfaithful. Sorry, how the pagans, I keep making that same mistake. Romans 1, how the pagans were unfaithful. Romans 2, how the Jews were unfaithful. Romans 3, how the Lord is faithful. Is faithful. The first were how they were not. Number 4, Abraham. Number 5 was the cross. Number 6 was baptism and resurrection. Chapter 7 was how it relates to the personal life. Chapter 8 was the Holy Spirit. Chapter 9, 10, 11 are about God's faithfulness to the Jews. Okay, score. So we are finishing up that section, um, and then we will move on. So I ask then, verse 1, has God rejected his people? By no means. I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah? how he pleads with God against Israel. Lord, they have killed thy, thy prophets, they have demolished thy altars, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. But what is God's reply to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. 
But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. What then? Israel failed to obtain what it sought. The elect obtained it. But the rest were hardened, as it was written, as it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that should not see, and ears that should not hear, down to this very day. And David says, Let their table become a snare and a trap, a pitfall and a retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened so they cannot see and behind their backs forever. So I ask, have they stumbled so as to fall? By no means. But through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? Now I am speaking to you Gentiles. Inasmuch then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry in order to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? If the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. But if some of the branches were broken off and you, a wild olive shoot, were grafted in their place to share the richness of the olive tree, do not boast over the branches. If you do boast, remember it is not you that support the root, but the root that supports you. You will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. That is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief. But you stand fast only through faith. So do not become proud, but stand in awe. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note then the kindness and the severity of God. Severity toward those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness, otherwise you too will be cut off. And even the others if they do not persist in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God has the power to graft them in again. For if you have been cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted, contrary to nature, into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these natural branches be grafted back into their own olive tree? Lest you be wise in your own conceits, I want you to understand this mystery, brethren. A hardening has come upon a part of Israel until the full number of the Gentiles comes in. And so all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. As regards the gospel, they are enemies of God for your sake. But as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers, for the gifts and the call of God are irrevocable. Just as you were once disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, so they have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they also may receive mercy. For God has consigned all men to disobedience that he may have mercy upon all. Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God.
How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. The grace of God the Father be with you all. Amen. So like I said, today's won't be crazy long because a lot of this is what we actually discussed last week. Um, so the beginning of this um, is, is now Paul gets way more direct, a little bit more direct than last week about answering the question as to whether or not God has rescinded um, the covenant with um, the Israelites. Okay, so um, there's a lot of verses from the Old Testament again in this section. And I really, I keep emphasizing that because I think it's so important for us to realize um, that if the claims of religion are true, what St. Paul is saying really matters. Okay, he's not dealing with agnostics. He's dealing with believers. Okay, so he's saying we have this scripture. It says a lot of things. If scripture is true, then what do we make of our present situation? That's why he's going into this. This is not just like a, a random conversation that he thinks is cute to have, right? For him, it's what do we say? That's why he starts off saying, I ask, has God rejected his people? If he has, what do we make of that? Didn't he make a promise? So if he made a promise, is he stepping back from the promise? Can he break his promise? Is he like, these are, this is why he's discussing it. It's not just like a, um, let's have a philosophy one-on-one class so I can tell you how cool Christianity is. It's saying God has, has been and is still working in history. And how do we make sense of this situation? It's kind of like how with COVID, sorry, I know we're all over COVID, how right away everybody was like, is this God's wrath? Um, we're not talking about God's wrath. Um, I hate that subject, but um, it caused everybody to say, if we believe that God is God, how do we make sense of our predicament? If we believe this about Eucharist, how do we make sense of this predicament? This is what St. Paul is doing. It's a very real issue, right? And so it's not, I just really want you to realize the relevance that even, even the, the, the apostles, they're writing everything um, for reason, okay? They're not, they're not just having a random conversation with themselves. So verse one, has God rejected his people? Absolutely not, by no means. And, and now Paul is doing something that's not very common. He's going to use himself as proof instead of using other people as proof. He's saying, okay, if God has broken the covenant, if God has gotten rid of people, he's saying, what do you make of me? I'm an Israelite. I'm not a Gentile. I'm a Jew, right? So he's starting off right off the bat of saying, I'm a descendant of Abraham. As a matter of fact, I'm a member of the tribe of Benjamin. Um, and the tribe of Benjamin, they laid title to the Northern Kingdom when that was a fake, right? So he's like, I'm, just not, I'm not even just a nobody, right? I'm a descendant of Saul, the first king, right? I'm part of his tribe. Um, so it's a really, really like big deal um, that I'm a Jew and I'm a Christian. Keep in mind, I'm using the word Jew and Christian. There were no such thing as, as names like that back then, right? So there wasn't Christian, 
Christ, Gentile Christians and Jewish Christians, there was Gentiles and Jews that believed or didn't believe in Christ. They weren't named Christians yet. Um, God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah, how he pleads with God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets. Um, let me just share that. Perfect. Um, this is the reference that he's going to. So in 1 Kings, Lord, they have killed your prophets. They have demolished your altars and I alone am left and they seek my life. Okay, so he's recounting the story of Elijah. When Elijah is going to God all hurt, um, as though the people owe him something, I'm being a little bit hyperbolous, um, but Elijah is whining to God. And he's saying, oh God, they've all forsaken you. Everybody sucks. All of the Jews have bowed down to the pagan gods. Um, and now they want to kill me. This is the famous scene where the voice of God doesn't come in this, that, or the other thing. It comes a still small breeze. But actually, Elijah went to God to vent. Okay? Um, Elijah's a beast. Like, I'm not hating on Elijah. He's amazing. But his tone with, with God here was a little bit self-pitying, it seems. So he's saying all this to God. And then St. Paul says, and what is, what is God's reply to Elijah? No, Elijah. I have... Oops. I have kept for myself... 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal, right? So God's saying, no, actually, you're wrong. They're not all gone. Some of them are preserved. There is a remnant. So too, so St. Paul is using this to help them make sense of their situation. So now St. Paul is saying, so too, at this moment, um, there is a remnant chosen by grace. Saying even at this very moment, there are people who are of the Jews who believe in Christ. Me being one of them, St. Paul, right? But if it's by grace, it's no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. So St. Paul is, is being very in your face about this to, to make a, a point of saying, like a Jew would have been like, thanks, Captain Obvious, to some extent. He's saying, yeah, people are now here by grace. Grace means gift. So if they are part of God's covenant because of works, then it's not grace because grace is a gift. Paul's saying it's either a gift or it's not a gift. Right? That's what St. Paul is, is, is saying. So it's a gift, guys. So it's not because you did stuff, which was all the first chapters are about, right? Where he talked about how this has nothing to do with how good you think you are or aren't. So um, some early Jewish teachers actually criticized Elijah for accusing his people to God, right? Like as opposed to like Moses who like put his life on the line for them. But Paul's point here is different, right? Paul's actually saying, okay, you know, Elijah had reason to believe. He really did. Elijah had reason to believe that all of Israel had apostatized. Um, and God is saying, but I preserved some people. I've elected some people. So Paul is again returning to what we talked about a lot last week, so I won't, I won't rehash it completely, but that there's a historical pattern of this concept of 
remnant. Okay, that that he's trying to say, so it's almost like how, just so that you can make it maybe more clear. When we stopped having communion, what were the first things we started to say? It's like, okay, well, actually in our history, we were forbidden communion before, right? We went back to the history to say, is this new? Does this have a precedent, right? That's what St. Paul's doing for them. He's saying, there's a precedent to what I'm saying. I'm not just reaching, right? This is what God himself in history has said. That's, that's why he's doing this. Um, Noah and his family, right, were a remnant. So I was gonna, I'll just, um, for those of you who are in Katana, I'm sharing a zillion things in a row, just of different proofs, different scriptures that he's using, um, of all of these places that Paul is quoting all at once, right? Trying to say, guys, this isn't new language. This is God has called them remnant over and over and over and over in Isaiah, in Kings, in Jeremiah, in the Psalms, right? He's used this language all along. So he's saying this isn't, there's nothing, there's nothing shocking here. Um, and so he's saying that even still now, even still now, there is a remnant of the inheritors of the promise, promise himself being one of them. And there's still a chosen people even if God is also accepting others. He's saying your acceptance doesn't negate their importance. Okay. Just because you have now been allowed into the covenant does not make them worthless people. Right. It's in, 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 in like, yeah, I won't, I won't belabor it then. So verse seven. Share to stream. Um, what then? Israel failed to obtain what it sought. So did Israel not get what, it, what she wanted? The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened. As it is written, God has given them a spirit of stupor. That's one of the verses that I, I shared on the Katana thing. Um, that should not see an ear that they should not hear down to this very day. And David says that their table become a snare and a trap, a pitfall and a retribution for them, that their eyes be darkened, uh, that, so that they cannot see and bend their backs forever. That is this one. So, again, God saying, Paul saying, here are proofs of a remnant. So then here he gets past it. Now we're about to the section where he's going to make his main argument. Um, this next two sections are the easier part of the chapter. There's a section that I don't think anybody really gets to be quite honest with you. Um, but I won't claim that I do because I don't. So I ask, have they stumbled so as to fall? I saying, okay, so we spoke in the last two chapters about how there's a stumbling block for the people of Israel. And so St. Paul is saying, has it been a fatal fall? They fell. It was a stumbling block. But was it a fatal fall? By no means. Absolutely not. But through their mistake, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. And I want to make clear here too, jealousy in its proper meaning, okay? Um, because today we mostly mean jealous in a bad way, right? Today, jealous usually means like, I'm coveting. I want that. I wish it was mine and not that person's. Whereas there is such thing as holy jealousy. Holy jealousy is your sense of protection and ownership of something um, that should be yours, right? Like spouses should be jealous over one another. Parents should be jealous over their children saying, I don't want anyone to harm my child. I don't want anybody to harm this person. I don't want anyone to try and take this person. I don't want some 
guy to steal my wife. I don't want some woman to steal my husband, right? That's a healthy um, jealousy. Um, so when he's saying God's making Israel jealous, I'm, I'm clarifying that because God's not making Israel sin, right? Where it's just like, ha ha, I'm going to make you make a mistake. He's saying, no, I'm stirring them to the proper kind of jealousy that they should have been zealous over their special relationship to God. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? Saying, if their mistake meant goodness, richness for the world, and if their failure meant the Gentiles cashing out, he's saying, imagine how amazing it's going to be when they're fully back. We're going to come to that because St. Paul treats it as a when more than he does as an if. Now, I am speaking to you Gentiles. Okay, so now he's turned around. So remember that for most of this book, he's been shoving the finger in the face of the Jews, right? So most of the book, he's like, don't think you're special. Don't think you're this. Don't think you're that. You guys have been mistaken. That's been what mostly Romans 3, all the, no, Romans 2, basically all the way until this chapter has been mostly, um, talking about who Christ is, but also really telling off the Jews. This is where he turns around and says, okay, now I'm talking to you Gentiles. Okay. Your turn to take the beating. In as much as I am an apostle to the Gentiles. Okay. And here he's making a very direct reference to Acts 9, 15, where there's been this dispute about St. Paul. Okay. And where a decision was made, um, it's in Acts 9, I just shared it, that Paul is going to be the ambassador to the Gentiles. So he's, he's using his apostolic authority right now, right? And as much then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, officially, accorded by the church, I've been designated. I exalt, I magnify my ministry in order to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. So Paul's saying, I see my ministry to you guys as also being a ministry to my own peeps. Because in them seeing that I'm taking what they thought was their own precious personal stuff and giving it to others, that maybe that's going to make them come back the way that they should. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean? Um but life from the dead. If the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. So let's just recap this, this section to make it more concise. So the stumbling stone we talked about last time, um, I don't know if you know what stumbling stone in Greek is scandalos. That's where you get the word scandal from, okay? So the scandal of Christ, the scandal of the cross, the scandal of his whole personality, it caused the Jews to stumble, right? That's what we talked about before of the Jews were looking at this being like, no, that, that can't be right, right? Like, look, look, like he's cursed, he's crucified. So he's saying, okay, this scandal caused them to stumble, but there was not a fatal blow. And like we just said a few verses ago, it seems like St. Paul believes strongly that all the Jews one day are going to be returned to the covenant. Um, and then he even says, he takes it further, 
that they'd have even greater blessings when they do. And so Paul is saying, I'm trying to do what God's doing. I'm hoping that my ministry brings more Jews back to God. And then he gives this analogy of the holy, of this dough. Okay. Um, he's saying that if the dough offered as first is holy, is holy, so is the whole lump. So what does that mean, this analogy? Um, he's saying that, okay, God consecrated Israel from the beginning. And so this tree that you're grafted in is built on Israel. So this goodness of the lump started with Israel. It didn't start with you. You're attaching yourself to something holy. Um, the only analogy that I could think of for this <laughs> was what we do with like our holy water and our holy oil, <laughs> where when you're almost done the holy water, you put more water on it, right? And you're like, no, 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 so we don't run out because there was original holy water in it, right? So that was the only analogy I could think of to do it. Um, and so he's saying that in this whole dough that is the people of God, you are a batch added to the original lump. Okay, the original lump is the Jews, and it is holy. And you've received your holiness through them. That's why he's telling them off. Right? He's saying, you didn't receive holiness from yourself. You didn't receive covenant from yourself. You didn't receive anything from yourself. You weren't the card carriers from those earlier analogies right? You weren't any of those things. You are freeloading because of how good God is. This is grace. It's a gift. It's only because God gave a gift that you're here. It's not because you're good. Okay, so that's why he's turning around and looking at them like that. Um, and he's saying the same thing about the root and the branches um, to say, to use the analogy of the tree, which we're about to get into, okay, that you're grafted. You're not natural, okay? Note, though, that St. Paul jumped in and said, I'm talking to you, Gentiles, and, 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 and he's now going to this whole tree thing, okay? Now, Israel has lots of imagery. I am not sharing them all, even on Katana, because there's like a zillion verses, because the analogy of Israel as a tree, as a vineyard, as a plant, is all over all of the Old Testament, Right, and Christ Himself also uses it um, when He speaks to uh, the apostles, right? Where He, where I am the vine, you are the branches. Um, uh, a farmer has a field, right? He uses even our Lord uses it over and over and over and over again. So I'm not going to put a billion of those, um, but that they are God's tree, right? God's vine or God's vineyard. So now Paul, so Paul's not inventing a new analogy. He's jumping in on an analogy that most people probably already knew. So verse 17. But if some of the branches were broken off and you, a wild olive shoot, were grafted in their place to share the richness of the olive tree, don't boast, Okay. Um, if you do boast, remember, it's not you that supports the root, but the root supports you. He's taking this leaven thing further. You will say, okay, so right now he's saying, okay, get over yourselves. Don't think you're special because you're grafted. You're not natural. Okay. 
And that would have been very understanding of the people of the time, like that kind of thing, because they would sometimes, if a tree was dying in the vineyard, it wasn't giving enough fruit, they'd go and take it from a fruitful tree, graft it in to try and bring it together, but it was seen as unnatural, right? So he's saying, you guys are unnatural, you're grafts, okay? You're not, you're not the original batch. So don't boast over natural branches. He's saying, and so he's saying, okay, so I'm saying that to you, and I know you might answer back, verse 19, branches were broken off, so that I might be grafted in. He's saying, but God broke them off to put me in. Like, like is the Gentile re reaction to that. And St. Paul says, yeah, that's true. It's true that God cut them off and that he put you in their place. But they're broken off because of their unbelief. They weren't broken off because there was something special about you. They were broken off because they rejected the covenant. They rejected God. It's not because they, God wanted to break them off to make room for you. That's not what God was doing. But you stand fast only through faith. You are only fastened to this tree because you believed him. You're not fastened to this tree because of something good about you or because of something bad about them. So do not become proud, but instead... You should stand in awe, right? This should be humbling to you, right? Because if God didn't spare natural branches, do you think he's going to spare you? Right? He's like, if God didn't, it'd almost be like, if God was consistent, if, if the CEO was consistent with his um, own child, like who runs the business, where like the rules apply to his own child, He's like, don't you think he's going to apply them to you? Like the one who doesn't have this relationship? Um, not a great example, but that's something like it. Note then the kindness and the severity of God. Severity towards those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. These are some harsh words. So, to understand this analogy better, okay, um, Paul's not talking about the tree right now as ethnic Israel. Okay, he made that distinguish that distinction. We talked about it last week and the week before, right? Where he's saying there's faithful Israel and there's ethnic Israel. God's not talking about ethnic Israel. It wasn't because of Abraham's progeny that they got a promise. It wasn't because of, of, of who their grandfather was. It was because of the promise. So I won't rehash that. Um, that's been the whole context of all of Romans. Okay. What he's getting into right now in the analogy is that some natural branches have been cut off. Those natural branches cut off are, pay attention to the language, covenant-keeping Jews. Okay, this is why he says it's not works. They are covenant-keeping Jews who do not believe in Jesus Christ as the fulfillment of the covenant. Okay, so Paul is not saying they're not doing it. He's saying, no, these are people who do stuff. And the reason why they are not in the tree is because of faith. Specifically because of faith. And because they don't have faith, they're not productive in this analogy. They're dead branches. 
they can't bear fruit because they are not alive from the source of life. And that is why they're being pruned off. Those that are cut off are being replaced by a wild olive shoot and being grafted into the covenant. But they're being grafted into something that was rooted in the Jews. So this analogy that Paul's using, the Jews, when they saw themselves as the vineyard, as the tree, they often considered the roots not to be God himself, but to be the, the, the original patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? And so Paul is going along with that analogy for a little bit, right? He's saying, you have been grafted into a tree that has roots. You're not the roots. The roots are Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Okay, so he's saying that the source of your um, life is the Jews. And it's funny, because if you look at what we read on Sunday with the Samaritan woman, Christ said this, actually, to the Samaritan, right? He says to her, salvation is of the Jews, right? She asked the question that people aren't really comfortable with, right, for her time, where she says, so tell me, where we're we supposed to worship. My people say this mountain, Gerizim. You guys say this mountain. So which is it? Right? And, and our Lord doesn't answer her right away. And eventually, um, he comes and says, but salvation is of the Jews. And Paul is now saying this to the Gentiles. He's saying, you're grafted into them. They will always be the cause and the source of our Christianity, right? That's why I said last week, I'm like, I never really thought about it that much, quite honestly. Um, but Paul's is very forceful about it. See, Paul's very forceful about it. Um, and this wild foreign branch has been gra grafted. He's saying, because of who you're grafted into, you have no right to show off, feel entitled or straighten your collars with dignity, right? When you walk into the room as though you have some special status, right? Because remember the whole context of Romans. We have a Gentile people who are treating the Jewish people like garbage. Right? And so that's why, and then the Jews are reacting to saying, but we're better than you. That's why he's gone off on the Jews. And now he's going off on the Gentiles being like, who do you guys think you are? And that's why he's also tying it to say, all of you are so stupid. He doesn't say that, but he says it. Right? Because you who are the roots you didn't make yourself roots, right? That's what chapter three and chapter four were about, saying Abraham hadn't done anything. Abraham didn't become the root because he did something. It was God's goodness that did it. And that's why he's turning around and looking at everyone and saying, can everyone just chill? Can everyone simmer? Why are we all showing off? There's no reason to show off. So he's getting into the heart of their conflicts. The reason for the theology here was to resolve a real issue, right? It was to say, you guys are messed up if you conduct yourselves this way, which is a really important thing to realize that theology and spirituality, they're not separate things. A theology that doesn't have a spiritual consequence is just vain, it's just vanity. But theology has living meaning because of who God is, right? And so St. Paul has gone through all this, not to just say, oh, let me tell you a cool story because it's so cool and I'm sophisticated and I'm a theologian, right? St. Paul is saying, given what God has done in time and history and who he is, how are any of you treating each other like this? 
right? So he's turned and, and let the, the Gentiles take one. Um, in fact, he says, because the root is Israel, whether them as a whole or the patriarchs, the new member, the new grafted branch needs to realize that he's being carried by this original people. So he's saying, this is the part where he said, the tree is not the one supporting the root. Sorry, the, the branch is not supporting the root. The root supports the branch. He's saying, so you've been grafted in and the people carrying you are the Jews. They did the work of history. They were the part of the covenant. So don't, don't look at yourself like you, especially in the Roman context, because the Roman context, after the Jews had been kicked out, the, Rome, the Gentiles took over and they're like, we're, we're the ones carrying this church, right? And so he's saying, no, you're not. They carried you. So consequently, the Gentiles need to refrain from two things. Being stupid, okay, <laughs> towards Jewish branches. Remember the context of the letter. And two, having contempt for the Jewish branches that were cut off. So he's saying, number one, these other branches that are Jewish, be nice, okay? Don't be a jerk. Number two, because those people who are in your church, those Jews, they're original branches that you're living with. Number two, those branches that were cut off, you're not even better than them. So don't have contempt for them either. And he, and he warns them, if you were to stop believing, don't you think God's going to cut you off too? Like, what is it that you're showing off? If you do what they did, you too will also be cut off. It's a good warning for us as well. So St. Paul is saying your status in the tree has nothing to do with what you did. Not Jew, not Gentile. None of you earned it. So don't boast it. It's the faithfulness of God and his kindness, like what he speaks about in chapters 3 through 6, that demand, as he said from chapter 1, faith for faith. Faithfulness for faithfulness. The faithfulness of God should have led for our faithfulness. So, verse 25. Or 23, actually, sorry. And even the others, if they do not persist in their unbelief, will be grafted in. Um, so he's saying the Jews that have left, if they come around, they'll be grafted back in. And he says, he says, because God has the power to graft them in again. But he makes a point here. Like, you know, if, if you've been cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature, saying you were not a natural tree, if God was able to do that to you, then how much more easy is it for God to take a, 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 a Jew and put him back in? He's saying, actually, it's easier for the Jew to come in because it, it actually makes more sense to the Jew than it does to you. Um, okay, this coming part, um, verse 25 on, um, I think it's really difficult um, to understand. Um, I think most of the fathers thought it was very difficult and most of the good commentary that I've read have found it very difficult. Um, and so I'm gonna, to the best of my ability, say what I, I think he's saying, how I understand it, um, without any claims here of this is definitely what Paul's saying, because I'm not, I'm not really sure. Um, and that shouldn't be troubling, it's normal. Right. In the same way that there's some things our Lord said that, like, even within 100 years, people are like, what did he mean? Right. Or like Saint Tabunayostos, for example, um, we say what he thinks, what we think he means when he says what time is it. 
Um, for all we know, he might have meant something totally different. <laughs> um, but, but we go with what we can to the best of our ability. So lest you be wise in your own conceit, okay? So lest you be full of yourselves. I want you to understand this mystery. The funny part is that he's right, this is a mystery, but I don't think Paul means it in that way. Paul means it as in, oh, wow, look, look how incredible God's work is. Whereas me, I'm like, no, I, I actually have no clue what you're talking about. Um, I want you to understand this mystery, brethren. A hardening has come upon part of Israel until the full number of the Gentiles come in. And so all Israel be saved. That part's not the hard part, okay? This part is saying that the current unbelief of Israel, their hardening, okay, the hardening of their hearts, is only partial and temporary. That's the claim St. Paul's making. Then he says it's going to last until the full number of Gentiles come. It's not clear what he means by that. Is it a fixed number of Gentiles? Is it a time period, the way that we speak apocalyptically? Because um, both of those would be very consistent. Is it the general response of the Gentiles to the gospel? I have no idea. It could mean that just as he expects all of Judaism to embrace Christ eventually, that he thinks the same will happen to the Gentiles. I don't know. Okay. Verse 26. And so all Israel will be saved as it is written. The deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. I'm sharing that Old Testament quote to Katina. Um, and he's quoting again. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. That is from Jeremiah. Um, and so these are both New Testament prophecies from the Old Testament. Um, as regards the gospel, they are enemies of God for your sake. But as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers, for the gifts and call of God are irrevocable. Yeah. So here's how I'm understanding him. Again, not sure. This part saying that all Israel will be saved is not clear to me. What it seems like he means, it's my opinion, only my opinion, um, and some references opinions, in the context of this letter, he's answering three questions about Israel coming to God again. He's asking the question of how, he's asking the question of who, like who is Israel, and he's asking the question of when. Okay, those are the three questions that he's dealing with. The how is relatively clear. He's saying that they have to abandon unbelief and disobedience. This is what I think he's saying in the context of his letter. That's what he just said. How can they return to be part of the tree? They have to stop being unbelieving and become believing. Um, that's not anti. It's funny because it's like if Paul were to write this today, he would be cast out socially as an anti-Semite, um, which is really funny because he's a Semite. Um, but he's saying that, no, I'm sorry, Jews, unless you believe you're not really a Jew, actually, is what he's saying. You're not even really Israel. Um, so how do you return? By accepting Christ. They must accept Christ. That's the how. Who? This is where I have no clue. Who does he mean now when he says Israel? Spiritual Israel? Like believing Jews and Gentiles? Because if that's what he means, it's easier to understand. I was saying when the fullness of everyone believes and that's, that's the end of the covenant. I don't know. Um, maybe. It seems, though, in context that he means 
And I really think he means this. Like, it's easier for me to think spiritual Israel. And people, I think, who want to take the shortcut will just take that because it works. I don't think that's what he's saying. I really think he means Jews, Jews, like, like ethnic Jews, ethnic and spiritual Jews, um, especially because of verse 29, because um, he says the gifts and the call of God are irrevocable. He's making reference to the covenant God made with the first Jews, right? Um, if it's an irrevocable call, then it seems like he must be talking about the Jews as a whole who were called. Um, that they will one day all accept Christ. And this seems even more plausible with what we will now read from verse 30. Just as you were once disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, I'll explain this in a second, so they have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they also may receive mercy. For God has consigned all men to disobedience, that he may have mercy upon all. I need to clarify that to link it to the questions he's asking, because that was really wordy. Okay? So what he's saying here, because I was really struggling with this, what does it mean that God consigned all men to disobedience? He's turned to look at the, the, Greek, the Gentiles again and said, God's first covenant was because of the disobedience of all men. And your disobedience, Gentiles, okay, had you guys in enmity with God and the Jews in favor. And he's saying, look, because you remember just a few verses back, because we're, we're interrupting him over and over and over, but he said this all in a row. Just a few verses back, he says, look at the mystery of God. And he's saying, huh, ain't that funny? Today, you've become obedient. And they're disobedient. And so he's saying, so basically, God has put you all in the lockup for disobedience at different points in time, right? For the Jews, it wasn't in the past. For you, it was. Now in the present, you Gentiles, it's not you guys, but it is the, it is the Jews. Um, or as St. Cyril of Alexandria says, Paul shows that both Jews and Gentiles were guilty of the same thing, um, but that they were cleansed likewise by one in the same grace, Jesus Christ. Um, so let's get back to his questions. So Paul is affirming, this is why it's a big struggle to all of us today, that all Jews will one day be reversed from disobedience to obedience. That's what it seems like he's saying. Okay, that's my, that's my read of it. Just as the Gentile believers have received mercy and become obedient, that's the analysis. That's the analogy. That's the comparison he's making. I don't know. Um, so next question, because I just don't know, is when? <laughs> okay. Um, he hasn't answered that yet. The will be saved, because the will be means it's somewhere in the future. So when is this will be? And it seems to be linked to those two texts from Isaiah that I shared earlier. I will reshare it again. Um, can't find the other one, but it's okay. Um, that he was quoting. He quoted them already in the text. And he's using them to say that the forgiveness of Jacob's sins and the removal of ungodliness and the renewal of the covenant was also made in the past. So let me try and make more sense of what I'm saying in, in maybe more plain English. Remember how earlier 
I was saying how Paul's going back to the Bible and looking at precedent to make sense of the situation. He's doing that again here. He's going back and saying that even when Israel, what these verses from, from Isaiah that I'm not opening right now because I don't want to make it too long and too heavy. He's looking at verses where Israel was in a bad place, where they weren't all believing, and where God said, you will all come back to me. He's saying, because even, he goes, if God is consistent with what he's done in the Old Testament, he will be consistent now. And so all Jews will return to him at some point, just like he said in the past. That seems to be what he's saying. And this deliverer could be Yahweh in Old Testament scripture, okay, the Father. But it seems much more likely that this text is referring to Yahweh's Messiah, to the Lord Christ. Um, and it seems that what St. Paul is actually saying is that when, when are they going to all believe in him? And this is very consistent with certain patristic views as well. When Christ returns. I think that's what he means. That the unfaithfulness of these people will remain until he returns where they will be forced to believe that it's him. That's, that's how I'm taking it to mean. Um, and, and that makes me struggle with it the least. I'm not saying I'm right. I don't know if I'm right. I have no clue if I'm right. I have no idea what he's talking about. Um, but if that's what he means, cool. Um, if any of you has access to St. Paul, please ask him for me. Um, and so he's saying that his contemporary Jews who are not believing the gospel that have been broken off from the olive tree will eventually believe and they will eventually join the ranks of all faithful Jews who proceed, who preceded Christ. Right. And Paul's saying there's a special place. Like he's like, guys, you believe because Jesus came, but these people who believe before the Lord came guys, there's something special about them, which is cool. Like I've never thought about that. Right. That they chose to be faithful when no one else was faithful to God. And that should make us proud of them. Right. Where he's saying, it's easy for you to believe you saw me. These people, it's kind of like what he said to Thomas, right? He's like, when he said to Thomas, like, Thomas, you saw, right? I'm not saying you're bad, but I'm saying Thomas, you saw, you saw. And so you believed. blessed are all of those who aren't going to believe who didn't see. That's exactly what was true of the Old Testament Jews. Christ had not come yet, and they were still faithful to God. They messed up, but they still had relationship with God. And so St. Paul is saying, get over yourselves, bros. Um, don't know. So I will leave that section at that. Regardless of whatever it is that he means, he sees that God's mysterious plan mysterious in more ways than he meant it because it wasn't a mystery to him um to save all is above our comprehension and worthy of praise and all, that's all i can say with certainty is that this mystery is he saying praise god cool i'm down for that so he ends with this doxology oh the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of god how unsearchable are his judgments i love this section um, are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways for who has known the mind of the Lord Sorry, I forgot to share it. Um, or who has been his counselor who knows what God is thinking and who gives God advice is what he's saying or who has been or, or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid 
right? Like God doesn't owe anything to anybody. Nobody gave God a gift and God needs to pay him back. God is sovereign. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. So that's the end of the hard part of the book of Romans. Okay. Just to summarize um, what this has been about. This might be a good, a good time. I'm going to summarize what the message of Romans is about. Really quick meditation on what I think this chapter should kind of force us into thinking about as Christians. Um, and then if you guys have questions about Romans to this point, this would be a good time for it because like I said, everything switches gears um, from Romans 12 on, I think. I don't remember 13 and 14 as well as I should, but I know for 12 it does. Um, but just to step back, we're talking about a group of people, an early church founded by preaching that had a blend of Gentiles and Jews who have come to accept the message of Christ. Emperor Claudius kicked out all of the Jews from Rome and they were gone for a period of years um, and then they returned. When they were gone, the Gentiles ran the church. So when the Jews came back, the Gentiles treated them like garbage saying, we don't need you, who do you think you are? We were just fine without you. God clearly favors us. That's why you guys are rejected. That's why you guys are this. So St. Paul goes to the whole story of salvation to say, sorry, that's not how it works. He's saying, all of us have been unfaithful. If it weren't for the goodness of God, who would we be? And he preaches the full gospel of salvation. Um, he zooms in on where the Jews have been unfaithful, where the Gentiles have been unfaithful, then zooms in on the faithfulness of God towards us, and that, that demands a faithful response from us. Um, that is the message so far, without getting to nitty-gritty. But from this chapter specifically, I think what I'm challenging myself um, and all of you to um, is just to think about, are you, um, are you a Christian elitist, right? Because that's what he's dealing with, right? He's dealing with two different kind of elitist groups, and they're both elitists. Okay, the Jews were elitist and the Gentiles are being elitist. They're both being elitist. Do you think, how does this reflect to you in this day? Do you think you're better than non-believers? Because I do think a lot of us do, right? And I do think we, we even, we've even culturalized it where we'll say things of don't do like those people. Like they're a bad kind of people. It's one thing to really mean the behaviors. I just don't know that when we say that we really only mean the behaviors. I think we usually mean don't be that sort of person, right? As though they're bad persons by nature. They're not, right? Because what, what St. Paul has been saying to um, the Jews is God's always wanted the Gentiles. Always. And he was using you to bring them back, right? And then he turns out the Gentiles and says the same thing. He's like, well, now he's using you to bring them back. He likes them all. So do you think you're better than unbelievers? In fact, do you pray for things that might actually hurt other people? The example, I know I overuse it. For those of you who have heard me speak for like 12,000 hours in the last two years, I'm sorry in advance. But the, the easiest example for me is when you pray to get a job, if you pray to get a job, and there's 10 people that applied for the job, are you praying with the mentality of, yo, I'm yours, 
hookups, right? I should get this job because I fast and pray, because I'm religious, because I go on Sunday, because I have Eucharist, because I know who you are, which is why St. Paul is saying, I want you to realize how real what he's saying is, right? Where St. Paul is saying, you idiot. And sorry, he is saying that. It's not what you did that won you God's grace. If it's what you did, then it's not grace. Right? So he's saying, so one, are you thinking that when you ask him for stuff? But two, why would God care less about those who are not in the covenant and those who are in it? Right? Like, is, is God going to want to screw over his children because you applied? What if there's somebody else who's applied for the job who isn't a Christian, but who has four or five people, not just his immediate family, dependent on him working for them to survive? Doesn't God care about them too? Right? Is it just, is it just you that God cares about? You might not think about that when you're praying. Think about it. Think about this thing that you're praying for if it affects other people. And if your attitude is, well, I don't care. I'm me. I'm your kid. Be careful. Do you think that you have a special status with God? Because you do, but just might not be in the way that you think it is. You do by virtue of your baptism. You do. You have a special relationship with him by virtue of entering into um, the covenant. But do you think you have a special status with God in the elite way? And this will affect how you approach people, the answer to that question for yourself, who you think are in error. How do you approach Protestants, Catholics, Jehovah Witnesses, Mormons, atheists. The answer to the question of, of, of whether you think you have a special status um, or you're an elitist will affect what you, how you deal with them. Because it's one thing to believe that they're an error and it's another thing to look at them as a different kind of people, to have contempt towards them. Because here Paul is calling out Gentiles and Jews for having contempt towards one another and saying, guys, your contempt of one another shows that you think you're special. You're not the special one. God is. Or sorry, he's saying you're not special because you made you special. That's a better way of putting it. You are special. But you're special because God made you special, not because you did something that made you special. And so if I have, I, I will never forget this. I was talking to someone of this recently. I remember being a total jerk um way back i'm still a total jerk but a particular incident where i was a total jerk um in the early 2000s online when forums were a thing um and there was some poor baha'i girl i still feel like till this day i'm like god have mercy on me and forgive me because it was some coptic random forum and a couple of us were on there and this girl came on being like can we just hug and sing kumbaya we all believe the same thing right and i ripped her apart me and a friend of mine like we're saying the same thing. Well, what do you make of this and 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 this? And we just we just clubbing her to death with the truth, right? And then high fiving each other in the background and being like, "Ha ha, got her." She had no answer. I feel so guilty today for doing that, right? That that that's 
that was using the truth to beat someone with, right? That was acting as a special category of people of these dumb people um, that, that <laughs> poor, poor souls, they're unenlightened when they, when they become like us, they're in, right? And hopefully if I club them with the truth, this is what they were doing to each other. This is what the Romans were doing to each other. And St. Paul is saying what I did, Anthony Paul, is not what you do. He's saying it is the goodness of God that we boast in. It is not in a personal goodness. You're not special by your own doing. You're special because God made all of us so. God created all of his people and all of them are loved. And that's why the real question that I think is really a take from Romans 11 is, do we realize, regardless of what Paul means or doesn't mean, his intention and his desire is clear, do we realize that God wants everyone saved? Do I live with that in my mentality? Do I live with the mentality that God wants to throw people into hell? That God wants people to be far from him? Or do I live with the mentality of God wants everyone? That's his will. Because if I live with that mentality, my conduct, my speech, everything must change. And that's why Romans 12 goes in, here's what you should look like if you're on God's team. And that's why he'll, he'll switch gears. Um, glory be to God forever. Amen. Um, any, um, that was a little under an hour because I started late. So thank God. Um, are there any questions? Let me go through some of these. Uh, do, 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 do. How does one acquire superstardom? Ask St. Paul, man. Uh, what is the lump? I think that got answered. Um, but uh, just to be on the safe side, the lump is the, 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 the original batch of dough right, that God was saying the first lump that we made dough from was the Jews. And then the Gentiles got added to that lump. They were sanctified by the Jews, not the opposite. Um, how are the Jews the roots by their works if it was God's goodness? It wasn't by their works. Um, and that's what chapter 3, 4, 5, and 6 are about, was actually making the point that it's not. Um, their works, that it was God's niceness that made them roots. Um, <laughs> dispensationalism, yes. Um, if God doesn't have favorites, why doesn't God reveal himself to us all in the same way? I would challenge back that we as humans don't treat everybody the same way, including our favorites, including our favorites. And we do have favorites as, as, as humans, right? I can think of, of, a, of a number of people who I'm very close with and the way that I treat them is extremely different from one another. In, in fact, I'd even go further to say that there are people who I don't feel the need to treat in a super special way because of the confidence I have in our relationship. 
where it's the opposite of being like, if I don't message this person every day, they're not going to be stressed out that I hate them. Right. Whereas others might need that. I'm not saying that even condescendingly, there's different kinds of personalities. Right. Whereas I may have someone very close to me who does actually need that. Right. So I'm just trying to say that it's not in how he reveals himself that shows us how he loves us. Because God revealed himself actually to the whole world. And God from the beginning of time revealed himself to all of humanity and all of nature. It was humanity that rejected. And he elected Israel not because he liked Israel more. Right? This is actually a great question to tie in all of Romans. He didn't elect Israel because he had a favorite. He elected Israel because the world wasn't responsive. But he found a faithful response in Abraham. Chapter 4. That was what did it, right? And so it's, it's incredible, like, the, the way that, that this ties it all together. So God reveals himself to all who are willing. And anybody who looks for him, like he said it, seek and will find. If I didn't understand your question properly, please, please follow up in case I didn't get it. Um, so it's not against any set in stone doctrine of the church to leave that ethnic Israel be saved in the end times even if we can't say for sure one way or the other. No, it's not against any set in stone doctrine. I mean, there's so many varying views on that issue about whether all the Jews will or not, but it seems, it seems to me that St. Paul really is suggesting that. But it's not clear when, right? Because, um, like, like I said, the way that it makes sense to me is that in the second coming, in the perusia of the Lord, it makes more sense to me that that's when um, it will no longer be just a remnant, but the whole. But that also might be what he means, because he talks about all the Gentiles coming in too. We don't spend much time talking about that. And that's why my own, if I want to really put out my personal take on this, like off the record, I don't think St. Paul is saying that everyone's belief in him means everybody's salvation in him. I think what St. Paul is saying is that Everyone has, because he's lamenting in these last few chapters. He says, I would, I would be happy to be anathema for their sake. Which means that he believes that many of them aren't going to come into real faith. Like into saved faith. Or he wouldn't even say that. So I think what he's saying, both about the Gentiles and about Israel, um, ethnic Israel, is that on the second coming you won't have a choice about whether to believe or not because it's right in front of you. But what, what becomes of that? Who knows, right? Because it's not enough to just say, I believe in the sense of it's, you're done, you're dead, right? Because it's all over. I'm like, no, no, wait, wait, I got it. I believe you now. And it's like, okay, like this was, this was the end, right? So, um, and, and maybe he will. I don't know. Like I'm saying, I have no idea what God's going to do. And that's why St. Paul says, oh, the mystery of God's work. <laughs> and I will resort to that same thing. Good question, though. How would you define the body of Christ? Um, I'm scared to answer that at the risk of, like, being excommunicated. Um, on one level, I think it's all of humanity. Because I view, this is personal, and I, I do not believe this is heretical, which is why I'm not afraid to say it. Um, 
because I would not intentionally say something heretical anyway. But um, I view them as non-baptized members of the church that belong to us, that are under our care, that are under the care of the One Holy Catholic Church, that we might not have done our work to yet, or that they might have obstacles. In the same way that I believe that the Catholics, the Eastern Orthodox, and the Protestants, we are the divided body of God. Um, and that we are all members of that one Holy Catholic Church, even if I do believe, and I do believe, that there are churches in error. I do. I do believe that. But just like within a family unit, I can get in a fight with my dad and run away. It hasn't destroyed that he's my dad and I'm his son. No matter how far away we go, even if I try and change my name, it will always remain a fact that that's my dad, right? And I'm his son. And so um, the body of Christ to me is a fractured body of Christ. Um, it's, 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 it's the whole church, but we're unfortunately fractured. Um, and we're all claiming individually to be the whole. Everyone's making the claim. The Roman Catholic Church calls herself the one holy Catholic apostolic church. They only changed Catholic to be a capital C. It used to be a small c. The Eastern Orthodox call themselves the one holy Catholic apostolic church with a small c. So do the Oriental Orthodox. And incidentally, so do the Protestants. In fact, they call themselves the Church of Christ, some of them, the Apostolic Church of Christ. They have all sorts of names. Everyone's making claims. Um, my view is, as Christ said, that they all be one, even as we are Father. It's, I, I, sorry to spend too long on this. I hope I'm not annoying, but um, I really do think that there's a reason why the Lord's parting prayer in Gethsemane was specifically about unity. I really, really think that God was foreseeing and praying for our present state, because within 400 years of the founding of Christianity, we were already fractured. Like, like permanently fractured, not just like partially. Um, if we act kindly towards someone who isn't a Christian, isn't like us, or isn't our favorite, sometimes people around us rebuke us as unwise or naive. Is it something wrong to do the right thing, which to me means loving everyone despite being treated badly by some? We owe faithfulness to the gospel. Period. Okay, so... My motto has always been, be yourself, don't sin. So in whatever nice thing you're doing to a non-believer, just make sure that you're not doing wrong in the name of love. That's the only thing to worry about, right? If you're not doing wrong, that you're not sinning, then no, your duty is to the gospel, not to anybody else. Um, and actually, that's usually how people come in is when they see somebody different. That's, the, that's often where it is, where people put their money where their mouth is, right? Instead of just saying nice things where we actually do nice things. Um, you seem to have noticed your own area of growth weakness when it comes to eliteness or the days when you were a jerk. How did you recognize this in yourself? Um, I don't know if I'm really good at it, to be honest with you, um, but I'm obsessed with truth and objectivity, which includes about ourselves, right? St. Anthony the Great, um, the greatest saint in, in history, um, he said, he who knows himself knows God. 
Um, I still haven't figured out the depths of what that means. Like every year it goes to another level for me, but part of it, um, part of it is knowing ourselves, including our weaknesses, because the only way for release from something is to recognize it and to not fear it. I think most of us fear acknowledging that there's something wrong with us. And I don't know why. Um, like, I don't know why we fear that because I, I know I always joke about this, but we as a human race, I've heard so many people make that like the expression of I'm not perfect. And yet when the perfection is challenged, even by ourselves, we get really worked up. Um, so I'm not sure that we really believe we're not perfect. Um, um, how do you forgive yourself? I didn't, God did. Right. The most I can do is go to God and say, Hey, I messed up. I'm sorry. I treated your kid like, like garbage. Right. And, and I, I still pray for, I don't even remember her name. Right. I'm just like, Lord, whoever she was, please let someone else better than me find their way to her to correct what I did. Cause I might have messed her up permanently. I have no idea. Um, but I know that God forgives. And I also know that God cares about her way more than I do. Um, and so he won't leave himself um, without a witness. Um, I'm supposed to declare St. Mary's the greatest. No, I won't declare the greatest because she's a class of her own. And when I say that St. Anthony is the best saint, it's in another category. It's like comparing like the passion of the Christ to Lord of the Rings. You can't. They're, they're different categories. <laughs> like if someone says, what's your best movie? I can't say the passion. Um, come on, Abuna. Um, Abuna is rolling his eyes. Um, any other, uh, that was it for the questions in the, in the chat. Any other questions or anything? Um, or shall we bizounce? Okie dokie. All right. Let us pray. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. We ask you, Lord, to hear us the processions and prayers of the Holy Mother, the Theotokos, the great Saint Anthony, Saint Athanasius Apostolic, Saint Pope Corlus and Saint Mina, and we pray with all thanksgiving. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not temptation, lest we evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and glory forever and ever. Amen. The love of God, the Father, grace, and God's Son, the communion gets us with you all. Go in peace. The peace of the Lord be with you all. See you guys next week.